to the Paint, Rest, Repeat podcast with Roz Gervais and Laura Day, where we chat about our creative lives as artists while keeping it real and a little bit messy. We're here to inspire creatives just like you to push past those boundaries and make art that you love. Let's dive in. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of Paint, Rest, Repeat. Today, we are chatting about running art workshops, and Laura is really excited about sharing all of her wisdom in this area, and we are going to be diving into the details. So, Laura, you've run art workshops before. Tell us how. I have, but I also want to say you're very experienced in running workshops yourself for us. This is true. <laughs> we did have a little bit of a debate prior to this because I wanted to turn this into a Laura interview episode. <laughs> and Laura's been really lovely. She's like, no, 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 let's just share. She's so sweet. Thanks, Laura. Yeah. We've both run workshops for many, many years to different groups. You probably have more extensive knowledge in teaching kids. I learned early on that I don't like teaching kids. (laughs) So when I first moved to Ballarat, there is such a market for those workshops. And yeah, like I was starting out, setting up my practice here in Ballarat and the art gallery runs like a school holiday program, after school arts and all that sort of stuff. And they asked me to run a workshop. So I just didn't really enjoy the teaching the kids. I'm sorry. I love kids. I love hanging out with my friends' kids all the time, but I just, it wasn't for me. And I realized quite early in my teaching, in my teaching and running workshops, that I really preferred working with adults. I guess we're talking about this topic today because listeners have been asking us about it. We always talk about on the podcast creating different income streams and that's really important to your business, just having a few things on the go to help fund your art practice. And it has been like a really good source of income for me I love teaching. I find it really rewarding. And yeah, it's just something that I really like to do. It has morphed and changed over the years, what sort of technique and what sort of focus that I have on in teaching. So I started out teaching screen printing workshops. Now, currently, I'm teaching abstract painting, but I'm assuming that the listeners already are quite skilled in their craft, but they're also looking for another income stream. And Roz, when we were sort of wrapping our head around this topic today, you did come up with a really good point. And it was asking the question, why? Why do you want to do these workshops? Did you want to elaborate? Yeah, definitely. So um, today we've we've done a lot of planning for this episode and we're actually going to share, like structure this with five sort of actionable steps and things for you to consider in setting up your workshop revenue stream, basically for your business. And the first one is around the why. So why are you looking at this as a revenue stream? Why are you interested in it? Really sort of diving into that is really, really important. Like, I don't know. I believe in giving everything a try, but you've got to be really honest and true to yourself. So that's why you need to understand the why. So for you, Laura, realizing that you don't enjoy working with kids 
is just something that you've accepted, which is great. Then you can move forward and work with people who you actually want to help, people you want to expose to art and help them to access the benefits of art and all of that. So it's a lot more meaningful, right, for you with the right person if you've got the right match. Why is a big one? Like, is it joyful to share the magic of art with others? Is it easy as well? Like, does it feel quite easy to you because you're just a natural teacher or nurturer or natural sharer? So yeah, just sort of looking at those things is really, really important as a foundation. Hello, beautiful creatives. It is Roz here. I wanted to let you know about my free community over on Facebook. It's called Permission to Paint Free Community and it is a group over on Facebook where we do lots of beautiful things. So it is where you can access weekly art prompts to get your creativity flowing. And we also have a monthly prize draw for the top 10 group contributors. So you can win a free month inside Art for the Heart, my online membership for creative women. I also run a number of art challenges inside this group and it is basically the place you want to be to support your art career without paying a cent. So come on and get amongst it. I look forward to seeing you in there. I wanted to backtrack really quickly just before I forget because you know how my brain goes. You said earlier that we have to, you're assuming that everyone is skilled or our listeners are skilled in their craft. And I just wanted to just drop in really quickly that a lot of creatives, I don't know if you remember this, if you like wind back the clock, a lot of creatives might be skilled in their craft, but sort of not feel confident because primarily of that whole imposter syndrome thing. Do you remember those vibes with teaching? Yeah. When you're starting out doing something new, it can always feel wobbly. And that is completely normal, completely fine. And it's totally okay to be worried and nervous when you haven't done something before, but it's also good to push yourself out of the comfort zone because if there is something calling you to teaching, not just like the motivator of money, because you know, you sort of think in your mind, you're like, I need income streams, I need to do workshops. Like you actually have to like really sink into how you're feeling about teaching workshops and really figuring out if that is for you because they're going to get really old quite quick if it's not the right path or not, you know, true to your skill set. But I'm saying that, you know, no one is an expert right away. So it is worth testing it out and it is worth giving it a go if you feel called to do so. And it's okay to do it scared as well. This whole creative thing, it is a bit of a journey and a roller coaster. And we are faced with our fears and insecurities and all sorts of feelings. So what advice would you give, Roz, to someone that's sort of wanting to do this, but a bit tentative or nervous? I agree with what you said, just that it's okay to do it scared. I think for me, I don't know if it's the same with everyone, but the first time I do anything, I am scared. Like I'm running on nervous energy and I show up and I do the thing and afterwards I'm exhausted. <laughs> and then I take a while. I'm like, okay, no, that was all right. That was all right. Could do that again <laughs> sort of thing. So I think it's quite normal, you know, to, or I hope it's normal to um, feel those nerves and just sort of do it anyway, because you've done the thinking. You've already thought about, is this going to be a joyful income stream? Is this something that I'm, you know, quite comfortable doing in theory, right? 
courage over confidence, all of that, just do the thing. So that was actually, we sort of reshuffled there. That was meant to be number two of our sort of arrangement. So we've got number one was tune into your why. Number two is being courageous and just doing it anyway, essentially. So if you have the idea and you know your why is right, give it a crack and commit to giving it a go. Do you remember how you first started? Did you just advertise publicly straight up? I actually did it with friends and family to test it out. So if it's a totally new workshop, never done it before, you've got this idea, you're not sure how it's going to run, really good just to get a few people together. Maybe if it's just a group of three or four friends, family members, maybe like you could ask them to contribute to the material costs. So you might ask them to give you 10 or $20, make it quite social, have tea and coffee, or I like to have chocolates at my workshop and then sort of do the run of the workshop. So it depends on what you're teaching, how lengthy it is, whether it's like a short, compact two-hour workshop or whether it's sort of a whole day sort of scenario or like a weekend workshop. Yeah, I guess I could keep it broad. But yeah, ask them for feedback, get them to write you a testimonial so then you can use that in your advertising. And that's what I did. I just started out with a few friends and family. Obviously, they're going to be very sweet and kind because they're the people close to you. But yeah, just let them know that you want some constructive criticism and like maybe suggestions on how you could run it a bit smoother. And that will sort of like help to give you a little bit of confidence because then after that has been done, you can sort of sift through in your mind, like, how could I do that better? How could I like not make it run over time? Or you just have a few different things that you could tweak. I like to have a running sheet as well. Like I actually like to put it in like a Word document and sort of have timestamps of like what we're going to do when. Sometimes I put alarms in my phone to sort of say, all right, all right this is when we're going to wrap up painting and things like that too. Because in a group scenario, people can just get very immersed in that creative process. They love it. It's good vibes. And then, you know, you're sort of rushing at the end. So you sort of want to make sure that things are sort of wrapped up. There's not big blobs of paint and things that people are going to be traveling in the car with. You want to make sure things are dried and those sorts of things. I'm getting into the details now, but in short answer to your question, I started with my friends and family. And then that gave me like a really good idea of like, how I could, you know, formulate and run the workshop to the public. Really good tips in there though. And actually, as you were sharing, I was thinking we probably should get into the details of how we actually structure a workshop session because that, you know, making sure that they don't go home with super wet paintings is ideal. It does happen with me for my workshops, but you know, that's something that you can consider as well, whether that's a goal for you in your workshop design. Maybe we'll talk about the details at the end, some hot tips around the specifics. I think we wrote some of those in our notes, specifically like for pricing and stuff like that too. I think that's a big sort of thing. So we had your why, then we've got being courageous, just get started, try with friends and family. And then what was number three? Number three is doing your research, which includes looking at demographics and venues and then maybe a few other areas. So number three is the research piece. I'm a terrible researcher. I tend to, in terms of 
things like this, I just sort of get started and I learn as I go. (laughs) It's just, I think I'm too impatient. Like I'll do a little bit of research, but I won't get stuck in that phase. What do you do with your research? What do you remember having to do that when you first started? I'd say go to some other people's workshops just to get an idea of how they're run. That's really good. So then you sort of like formulate in your mind, you're like, oh, I really liked how that person did that and this and that. And then it sort of gives you sort of an idea. You sort of put yourself in the student's shoes and then you can sort of reflect on about your experience and whether you enjoyed it. And then you can formulate that in your mind. And we're talking about in-person workshops here as well. I don't know if we really covered that. Yeah, that we're talking about in-person group workshops because there is other income streams like Ros and I do one-on-ones and all sorts of things, but we're actually talking about specifically in-person group workshops. Hey, actually, Laura, on that, if someone is interested in doing a one-on-one with you, how do they go about booking that? Oh, send me a DM on um, Instagram's the easiest way. I hang out on Instagram. Otherwise, you can go to my website, lauriejayday.com and just send me a message through my contact form. What about you, Roz? Oh, well, my one-on-ones is more around mentoring these days rather than the actual art making, like rather than you know teaching art skills. But yeah, you can go to my website, Stroke Mentoring, and you can see my pricing there as well and decide what works for you. You recommend doing research by going to other workshops, just seeing you know what you like, what you don't like about other people's workshops, essentially. And then you did research into demographics as well. Yeah, yeah. So have a little think about what you think you would enjoy, whether you want to teach kids, whether you want to work in the disability sector. There's actually quite a lot of opportunity in that space. And if anyone's specifically wanting to talk to me about that, I've got quite a lot of experience in that area. You've got quite a lot of knowledge in that area too, that kids and disability tend to be like, there's lots of work around. It's interesting, isn't it? Especially the kids. I always find it so interesting that, and sad actually, let's just be honest, sad that parents are more willing to spend money on their children doing something beautiful that's for their soul then spending it on themselves. So yeah, really interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. And then you've got your general public or adults or that sort of thing. And so once you've figured out the demographic, you might segment it into different areas as well. So you could sort of, you know, have the older population. So your retirees, and this is really getting into more specifics, So, you know, women that are creative, that have a bit more disposable income than say someone that's in your, like in their mid twenties to like mid thirties bracket that, you know, they've got mortgages or they've got, you know, professional careers and they're quite busy that don't have the free time, or you could pitch it to like groups of women, hen's nights, events, parties those sorts of things. Maybe there's a bit of alcohol involved. There's all sorts of areas that you could segment it into. You could sort of do like the hipster crowd and things like that. What I like about what you're saying as well is that it helps you. You've got to sort of reverse or engineer it both ways. So it helps you to work out what day and time to run your sessions. So if your people are working people, you need to do it on weekends or evenings. If it's people who are uh, slightly older, who are after something, they're retirees, they're looking for something nice to do, you can do that in the work 
day. And then when I say reverse engineer or engineer it both ways, I mean, think about those people that you want to serve and then how you can fit that into the week that you want to have. So that comes back down to the lifestyle side of things, your lifestyle that you want to have and the art business sort of everyday art business that you want to have. So generally teaching group workshops at weekends are quite popular. So if you're wanting to have a bit of work-life balance, like how are you going to fit that into your life? I made the decision that I'm only doing it once a month and that works really well for me. And, you know, the sessions that I run on a Saturday and I've condensed the length of my workshop to fit in with my health limitations as well and my energy. So I design the workshop around my capacity and what I'm willing to do as well. So it's really important to take in like all the factors. Maybe you have a family and it might be challenging to work, you know, school holidays or on the weekends as well when your kids are home. That could be, you know, kind of a problem. So you could maybe tailor your workshops to that older demographic and you could do the sessions during the week when they're at care or when they're at school or whatever. And then that could be sort of like midweek and that could be the older demographic. Yeah, there's so many different ways that you could take this. You're not going to be surprised when I'm sitting here going, maybe I should start up weekend workshops (laughs) because I have quite a bit of requests for, you know, the mum sort of basically age range wanting to make art and to do workshops. But I have my own small children And I don't really want to do a whole lot of weekend stuff or evening stuff because I need to prioritize my family. It's such a balance. But I like that you've done it. You, your workshops are just once a month in a contained period of time. And you have definitely factored in, you know, your health factors as well. You've done a great job of that. I think it's amazing. Actually, how are your workshops going? Are they full? Yeah. Uh, this one at the end of this month in a couple of weeks, it is. There's still a couple of spaces towards the end of the year, but I don't know when this episode's going out. It's actually probably going out like when I need to fill them. I have agreed with the with Visit, Visit Ballarat to become a part of their summer campaign. So it's actually not just ending in November. I had like I had decided I was going to do like the whole year and my last one was going to be in November, but I've actually agreed to um, do them like early in the new year. So there is going to be potential uh, for people to book in to the gin and painting workshop with Visit Ballarat and Kildakin Gin Distillery. Come along to Ballarat. I don't know how many listeners are, are close by or even in Victoria, <laughs> but yeah, you're welcome. It's super fun and it's been like a really amazing collaboration. I guess I could probably like distill how that came about too. I like that. It does just make sense to distill the <laughs> workshop plan from the distillery. <laughs> I know. How funny is that? <laughs> um, before you go on though, if people do want to book into a work- one of your workshops, how do they do that? Through my website. Just website. Just go to the website. lauriejaneday.com slash workshops. Amazing. And also they can make that, listeners, you can make that one of your research workshops too. So if you're in that area and just judge Laura. Be nice about it, but you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be analysed and scored. No, they'll be seeing how the pros do it. It's great. <laughs> so scoping out your venue, that's part of the research. And 
gosh, I've done so many workshops in so many different venues and I've done like outreach to all sorts of places. I've had people come to me and ask if I can run workshops. And, you know, you've got so many options with this. You know what I remember, just a little flashback, the first kids' workshop that I ever ran, and I had eight spots, I think eight spots, and only two people booked. And I was like, what? Oh, my, really? What am I going to? And I ran it anyway. So I honoured those two people and I stuck to my guns in terms of committing to building that thing. So I don't know why I told that story. What did you just say before I told that story? No, I think that's really important. I actually think it's really important because sometimes we think that you start something new and then all these people are just going to be lining up and you're going to have a full workshop. You know what? The reality is you might need to do those workshops with one or two people just to get started. And then that's going to give you valuable practice. It's also going to give you photographs and things that you could use for marketing. It's going to give you testimonials and it's going to give you referrals as well. Like I think, you know, monetary wise, yeah, you could look at it on paper and just be like, oh, that is so not worth my time. But if this is something that you're wanting to do, you need to commit time and you need to commit money that we'll get into the pricing a bit later, but there is going to be initial costs to set it up. So you have to be solid on your decision of like, right, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to like commit some time and dedication to like working on on growing this income stream in my business. Yeah. I think it's, you know, a lot of people try something once and then go, oh, that didn't work, throw it in the bin. And it's uh, that's when you have to come back to, yeah, the foundations. Like, why are you doing this? Is this part of your big picture plan? And then just, you know, be stubborn. A lot of artists are stubborn. I'm stubborn. You're stubborn. We're both stubborn. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I like doing my own thing and certain ways that I like to to operate. So with venues, I said that there is like there's a myriad of different places that you could run workshops. And I like teaching workshops in my own studio now, but you might not have the luxury of having your own teaching space. That took time. Like that took many 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 years to like, build up that And even just like, you know, having the resources, like the chairs and the tables and, you know, my little cushions and all those sorts of things. Like you need to be running workshops, make the money to like invest in those sorts of bits and pieces. You can start small. You don't have to have all the extra fancy things like grab chairs from wherever or you're probably about to talk about this, but, you know, find a space that has things that you can use and choose a lower cost space when you're starting it out you know you've got to start start is the key and then you can build it to you know everything that you've imagined yeah so you can collaborate with other venues that already have the workshop spaces so your local art gallery like do they run workshops could you formulate like a workshop that you could go and run is there neighborhood houses or like little community centers and things that you already see advertised, like people are running workshops there, disability organizations. 
uh, schools. I'm thinking of all places that there's like groups of people like, and it's already like a connected community. Council run venues, reaching out to council, just finding out, you know, who the contact person is there in the arts or creative sector. It's really important to build those relationships and reach out and find out more information. You could talk to other artists that have, you know, worked in your local community and run workshops at different spaces. Like it'd be good to get some feedback on that as well. Or you could approach local businesses as well. Cafes, shops, florists, wine bars, event spaces, art shops, homeware stores. You know, those places like they might do trade during the day, but then they might have like a quiet time or the opposite, like for the wine bars and the gin distillery and things like that. They might not be open during the day, but then they've got um, space that's sort of quiet or you could do it during their opening times. Like it's a mutual benefit to collaborate with other businesses and venues. And that's what I found like so beneficial for my collaboration with the gin distillery and then you know, working in my studio. So yeah, it works really well. Yeah. So there's a lot of different venue choices and things sort of to factor in. And you mentioned at the end there, um, and it sort of really leads into our fourth point, um, which is around collaboration. So working with the Kildakin Gin Distillery for you has worked out well as a collaboration because I think you've got your art or, or you had your art on show in their space. They're promoting your workshops and you're promoting them, in, you know, incidentally, whenever you share anything about your workshops. But can you think of some other ways to collaborate to sort of turn up the dial on your workshops? We were talking about collaborating with other artists as well. So the, the Bloom Art Experiences as well. So that's Kate Quinn and Emily Day. They've joined together and joined forces for to do art workshops together. So that's probably potentially another avenue to sort of, you know, think about and look at your events. Like have a look at what's going on in your town, any sorts of things that are happening locally. Look at your tourism council. Look at what people are promoting. We're creative. Like look at all the events. Like look at um, the different businesses. There could be like a beer drinking festival or there could be a wine tasting thing or there could be like local markets or there'd be a myriad of different places that you could sort of use as like an opportunity to cross-promote. There could be like summer festivals, spring festivals, like all sorts of things that you could use like obviously these events people are, um, there's marketing power behind them and different things. Like you could actually piggyback on their promotion, especially if you're starting out from scratch, people don't know who you are. Really great way to connect in. Yeah, definitely. And I think I have found that generally other businesses and other people are happy to support you as an artist and try to help you to get your name out one of the benefits of the starving artist <laughs> concept is that others are uh, keen to help you out. So, and you can't collaborate with anyone unless you ask. So, be that brave person and politely ask for collaborations around, you know, sharing power, like smart spaces, like um, the uh, gin distillery for you, or yeah, tying, connecting in with certain events in your area as well. 
I think I also wrote down collaborating with council. So if your local council has a program of some sort, my version of that is my local areas festival, which happens once a year. And I've been able to apply with some artwork to be the feature artwork for that festival. So that's that's how I've collaborated with council. But you've done a lot of council collaborations. I mean, your workshops are with council, right? Yeah. So they had a develop creative development program and it was in connection with Tourism Ballarat or Visit Ballarat. Um, but then also with we've got a Creative City Ballarat sort of a department within the council. And they helped artists to develop a, a workshop and it was aimed at tourism. So bringing people into Ballarat, spend a weekend, do some really interesting things, partake in a creative experience, but then also support the local economy. So obviously like they potentially could be staying overnight and then they could be supporting other cafes and shops and all sorts of things. So yeah, that was a really amazing development program and something that was on offer. And you're not going to know about these things unless you connect in. So get on the mailing lists, get to know the people that are running them, talk to other people that have run events or collaborations with them before, find out more, just get some info on like what it's like to partake in like council events, festivals, whatever they've got happening. Beautiful. All right. So that's number four. Number five and our last sort of area that we're going to chat about in regards to workshops is around what to charge, how to tell what to charge, when to increase prices, how to scale and how to know if it's profitable. So do you have any sort of tips around pricing? How did you start? It's all about the starting piece, I think, at this point. So initial costs, there's going to be an outlay. So if you've never done this before, what tools are you going to need? And I'd suggest just doing a big brainstorm, think about your finished product, what are you getting people to make and walk away with? So it could be like canvases, paints, paintbrushes, water jugs, easels. Like I know you use easels in your workshops sometimes. The little desktop ones. Yeah. Or do you need boards or like I don't, but I have like big rolls of paper that I cover my table with. Like there's all those like little nitty gritty sort of things and you will need to invest. There will be an outlay in like getting those tools. So you've got your cost of supplies for the workshops. So that's all the consumables. So every workshop, think about like what is that going to be? So like even including like tea, coffee. Uh, I like to serve some mineral water in my my workshops these days. Sort of changed over time. Like I was putting I was putting like ginger biscuits out and then no one was really eating them. It changes workshop to workshop, but yeah, little consumables as well, like even paper towel and I use um, baby wipes and things like that. So all those consumables, like that, they're like little things that sort of add up. Then you sort of want to look at the runtime. So how many hours are you running it for? You also want to look at like what you sort of want to get paid as well. And then, yeah, so look, if we're looking at a really short workshop, maybe two hours, you need to account for the setup and pack up. So on that sort of workshop, I'd be looking at actually four hours, like it'd be double because you're like cleaning up, washing up paintbrushes. You're also setting up, if it's an external venue, like there's that travel to the venue, 
you're driving in the car, how long is that going to take? All of those sorts of things. Whether you're paying for a venue or not, like that's going to be included in your cost of running as well. But if you're just starting out, I don't know if you would agree with this, Roz, or not. If it's just for a two-hour workshop, something under $100 might be really good just to start out with. So maybe looking at like sort of the $80 to $90 mark and that's just getting people in. And then you can gradually increase the price over time. Like once you start getting confident, you feel like it's a really like um, well-run workshop and uh, you're gauging interest and people are interested, like you can grow that over time. And if you can find a venue that's sort of not charging you money, that would be really good as well when you're starting out because that will help to keep the cost down. What would you say to that, Roz? Yeah, no, I love that. I think my opinion on this is to charge on the lower end when you start out and then build from there, okay, because you want to get people in the door, like you were saying, giving it a try, loving it, and then telling other people about it. But you do have to be a bit careful with your pricing because if you price too low, you won't be valued. So there's a little bit of a fine line there. I don't tend to do all the research into all of those costs. So I tend to go the other way. So do like a little bit of spot research on similar workshops in my area, see what they're charging, choose a price per workshop that fits into that space roughly, and then minimize costs. (laughs) Basically, that's my strategy. So I love how you go into the detail though. So you know, two different ways of doing it for different types of personalities, I think. Yeah. Depends on the quality of the workshop that you're doing. Like, I mean, I use medium grade paint. All those things add up. Like you don't want to be giving your students like the high quality Matisse fancy paints in like a just a fun experiential like workshop. But if the type of workshop that you want to create is like a boutique experience like the bloom like the bloom experience which is more more expensive to attend because of this yeah yeah and cost of venue and all sorts of things like buying fresh flowers and like having really beautiful snack boards and things like that like if you want to pitch and create like a beautiful high-end experience go for it that's amazing but that pricing needs to reflect that investment as well. And again, you know, that then ties back to the why. Like, what are you building? Are you building this beautiful high end art workshop where yeah, everything's premium? Or are you going more for the fun, the enjoyment, have a glass of wine, paint something for fun and, and giggle with your friends? Yeah. So, it totally depends what your goal is. I reckon I've shared some really helpful things today. Yeah. Let us know if you have any questions. Or if you've like, if there's a certain tip that has like really helped you, we would love to know how you have found this episode today. I've got a the artist's five week project planner on my website, laurajaneday.com slash free. So if you want to get that brainstorm down, start to block out like what you're going to do to get to this workshop. Uh, reverse engineer it, uh, figure it out, like do your research, write it all down, have a think about like all the supplies that you need, have a think about your pricing, where you're going to promote it, the the venue that you're going to use, whether it's a cost to it and all of that. 
get the project planner. Rose, you've got a masterclass. Yep. Yep. So my masterclass is around the income streams. So if you're looking at building more income streams into your business, be it through teaching or something else, um, you can pop your name on the wait list for the next time I run my masterclass around how to make money from your art. That's on my website at permissiontopaint.co stroke resources. And you can pop your name down there. So the real, the punchline today really is that teaching is a really good income stream for you if you find joy in teaching and sharing with others and sort of, you know, helping others to access the magic of art. This was good. Yeah, it was really good. I enjoyed breaking it down and talking to you about this topic. And beautiful listeners, if you would like to leave us a review, please do head over to Apple Podcasts to leave us a written review there. Be sure to share your Instagram handle as well so we can give you a shout out in our next podcast episode. In addition to that, you can also leave us five stars on Spotify. And this really helps us to keep going because we do do this completely free. Obviously, you didn't pay to listen today. So if you would like to do that to help us to get the word out, then please go and do that. That's all, I reckon. I reckon that's all. (laughs) See you later, everyone. See you next time. Bye. Bye. 